This is Amateur Logic, episode 66 for May 15th, 2014. Better Living Through Chemistry. This episode of AmateurLogic.tv is brought to you by Gigaparts.com. Between now and June 30th of 2014, use the promo code ALTV at checkout to receive $10 off any LDG tuner. MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com. And by ICOM, with the next level of innovation and mobility at your fingertips. Hi, welcome to another exciting episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. And it's great to be back with you again around the 1st of May here. Tommy, we're getting ready to take a trip, aren't we? Yes, sir, man. We're going to Ham Nirvana. Ham Nirvana. Yeah. We're going to be in Dayton here and just, uh, well, we'll be leaving next week. Yeah. So Yeah, I'm looking uh, forward to it. And we'll be bringing you back some uh, some good footage from that. Peter, what's going on down under? Well, it's been very, very wet here, so uh, there's not been that much to do, I'm afraid. Not much going on. No, no, no. I guess you're going into winter now? Oh, yes, yeah. And it's getting cold, too, so... Uh, uh, so yeah, it's um, uh, it, it it it's not not good for putting up antennas and things like that, unfortunately. Well, according to Mike, it's a great time to put up antennas. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, oh, well, let's get on into the program here. Uh, we got a couple of emails. Well, we actually we got three or four. Yeah. Well, what have you got over there, Tommy? I got actually I got one that's uh, a Facebook chat. But it's from uh, Troy, W8TCC. He said he was wondering if I had time to post a picture of that cool workbench I had on AmateurLogic.tv. There are a lot of people that would like to see it, myself included. And uh, so there it is. I'm really surprised how many people have commented about the the workbench. It was a pretty good find, I thought, at Sam's for about 80 bucks. Mm-hmm. But they don't seem to have them anymore. The closest thing I found to it was, uh, was this one right here, Gorilla Rack. And uh, you have to order it. Yeah, that does look kind of similar to it. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it collapses. Mine, mine will fold in and, and hang down to the wall as well if you want it to. Well, Peter, what have you got on your email stack down there? Okay, George, I've got a uh, what is it? Uh, a Google post from our friend Mike uh, VE3MIC, which I presume is in Canada, and uh, he says that ALTV now has 1,000 G-plus community members, and uh, we're commemorating this momentous occasion with the issue of a genuine counterfeit 1,000 Amphenol connector <laughs> note, affectionately known as the Grand Tommy. Uh, so Amphenols, I've never heard of that. Is that, that a new Bitcoin-type currency? No, that's, <laughs> that's who makes the PL259s. There. Ah, yeah. I see. Yeah, that, that picture is awesome. He really outdid himself. Don't show that picture to my wife. That's probably what I'll look like when I get about five, ten years. That's pretty classic, man. 
my cat did himself on this one. <laughs> he did, didn't I he? swear. You know, we're always kind of sensitive here to you know, a lot of issues on amateur logic. You know, we're not tree huggers, um, but you know, we we're concerned with technology and and where it's going today. And Tommy, I believe you've got something special here for us. Let's let's just get on into that. Okay. I want to talk to you today about something that's dear to my heart, and that's the Save the Duino campaign. Every day, hackers needlessly let the smoke out of their Arduinos. I did it myself working on a project. I ran 13 volts into pin number two, and I let the smoke out of it. So the rest of the Arduino works fine. It's just pin two does not work. And my first thought was to either keep it for experimenting or throw it away, but I got to checking around, and I could buy a replacement chip for it. For It's about five bucks or so, and uh, this one's already got the bootloader installed on it. Unless you've got a way to burn the bootloader to your chip, go ahead and buy the one with it already on it. It's worth a couple of dollars to have that done for you. But anyway, we're going to go ahead and replace it today in our Arduino. I, I did confirm for sure that pin number two is out. I, I hooked up my trusty LED and resistor, and I wrote a little sketch to turn on pin 2 and 3. Pin 3 works perfect, pin 2 doesn't. So we're going to put this new chip in it and give it a try. To replace it, all we need is a couple of screwdrivers, a couple of little mini flat screwdrivers, and we'll put the screwdrivers on either side and just work it back and forth real, real easily, uh, not to break the chip or the socket for that matter until it comes out. So let's go ahead and get that done. Comes out pretty easy. And there it is. Well, let's take our new one. And make note of a little dimple on the end because it's going to need to line up with the one that's on the socket. If you look closely, the pins don't exactly line up with the socket. So if we put one side in, it overlaps. So we need to put it on the table and rock it just a, just slightly until we get the pins to line up. Do it just a little bit on both sides and then check it again. Just a little bit more. And it looks like that should do it. Just snap it in. And we're done. So let's go ahead and burn the code on here and test it. Okay, the code's on here, so let's go ahead and hook it up. I've got a USB power adapter plugged into this regular USB cable for my Arduino. That's what I'm going to get power with it. Let's hook up the resistor to ground. And let's hook this up to pin number 3, which was working before. And let's confirm that it still works. And it does. And now let's check pin 2, which was definitely dead. And it's working. My Arduino is as good as new. It cost me about $5 plus shipping to fix it. 
and that, that's about a fifth of the cost of a new one. Be kind to your Arduinos, and if you happen to let the smoke out of it, all hope's not lost. Just order yourself another chip and replace it. You're good to go. That was a great segment there. I know that you know there's a lot of guys out there crying right now that just the beauty yeah, of it. Well, it, it kind of brought a tear to my eye <laughs> as well. It's uh, near and dear to my heart. So save those Duinos and don't throw them in the trash. Yeah, don't throw yeah. them away. The chip is, is cheap enough. I mean, hey, that was a find. Yeah, I got that one from, uh, I think I got it from MCM yeah. Electronics. Cool. Mm. Do you, uh, uh, Tommy, do you actually fuse your Arduino? Uh, typically, I haven't been. Uh, usually run it off of battery power or, or my little regulated supply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be a good way of avoiding a future uh, smoke incident. Well, it wasn't a thought. current problem. It was a voltage problem. It's a, Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I ran 13.8 volts into it and is way over what it's rated for. Yeah, he, he didn't blow the Arduino out completely. just lost an input or two just, on it. Just one input. One input mm-hmm. on it. Okay. Well, right now, let's... Uh, Let's have a message from one of our sponsors we're proud to have on board here, Gigaparts. And they've got something special going with LDG tuners this month. LDG Electronics pioneered the automatic wide-range switched L tuner in 1995. The LDG AT100 Pro 2 provides fully and semi-automatic antenna tuning across the entire HF spectrum plus 6 meters at power levels up to 125 watts. It will tune dipoles, verticals, yagis, or virtually any coax-fed antenna. And it'll match an amazing range of antennas and impedances far greater than some tuners you may have considered, including the built-in tuners in many transceivers. It features a two-position antenna switch allowing you to switch instantly between two antennas and an LED indicator for antenna selection and one to indicate when in bypass. It requires just one watt for operation but will handle up to 125 watts, making it suitable for everything from QRP to a typical 100 watt transceiver. 2,000 memories for each antenna automatically store configurations for each frequency or you can choose to tune from scratch. Rugged and easy to read LED bar graphs show power and SWR. You won't find a better auto tuner in this class, so why not call or visit Gigapart today and ask for the LDG AT100 Pro 2. Gigaparts is the largest independent amateur radio dealer in the nation. Everything you need for ham radio, including books, DVDs, antennas, rope, coax, and tuners. Gigaparts has it all and is open Monday through Saturday. Call us toll free at 866-535-4442. And our friendly staff will be happy to help you find the right products for nearly any project and budget. Online shopping made easy with real-time pricing and availability. And free shipping on most orders. Go to gigaparts.com and enter to win a free radio. Have a question? Click on live chat for a quick answer. Low prices? Huge selection. America's favorite ham radio store is Gigaparts. And right now, through June the 30th of 2014, you can save $10 off the cost of any LDG tuner when you order it at gigaparts.com. Just use the promo code ALTV. And Tommy, this is this is that tuner yeah. that we're showing right there. You know, they, they ask us to do some tests with it, and 
I, I did some, but I really wanted to try it on a barbed wire fence, and I don't have one. And I asked our old friend Jim. You remember our old friend Jim? Oh, yeah, I remember Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Everybody and remembers Jim. I thought maybe he would have, a, you know, a barbed wire fence, but he didn't have one either. So I haven't found one yet. I'm going to have to be sending this thing back pretty soon. But if we can find one, we're going to just see if this thing will load into it. Yeah, that would be a fun experiment. It would be. Uh, Peter, what have you got for us this month? For those of you who are going to Dayton, and that includes two of our hosts, uh, Art WA8RMC will be demonstrating the new DATV Express Board, uh, which is a a board for digital amateur television. And uh, I've got one, so that's what my segment is about this month. Until now, digital amateur television has been quite expensive, but a new board developed by a small group of US and UK amateurs has made digital television much more affordable. The project is called DATV Express, and it is a circuit board running open-source software which implements a software-based SDR radio. The board can produce not only DVB-S signals, but also DVB-T and DVB-S2 signals. Here in Australia, our TV transmissions are sent using the DVB-T protocol. Melbourne's digital amateur television repeater, VK3RTV, has DVB-S inputs and two output channels, each DVB-T. To use the board in practice, you need a video source, a computer with a Horpage video capture card running Ubuntu Linux, the DATV Express board, at least one RF power amplifier stage, some cable and a transmitting antenna. The board is capable of transmitting on handbands from 70 MHz to 2.45 GHz. Let's first look at my receive setup. It's simply a TV with a digital tuner built in, which is fed by a 70cm Yagi with a masthead amplifier. I'm using a video camera as a video source, and the video output is fed into a Horpage PVR150 capture card, which is installed in my quad-core computer, which runs both Ubuntu Linux and Windows. And here's the board that has made digital television cost-effective for amateurs. It's the DATV Express board, and it costs about $300. In practice, there are three connectors you use. In the top left-hand corner, you've got a 12-volt DC socket. In the bottom left-hand corner, uh, you have a USB connector for connecting a USB cable to your computer, which is running Ubuntu Linux. And finally, in the top right-hand corner, you have a female SMA connector for connection to an RF amplifier. I'm feeding the output of the DATV Express card into an 18-watt power amplifier kit, which was purchased from Minikits in South Australia. The power amplifier's output goes by cable to a 13dB gain 23cm Yagi pointed at Mount Dandenong. Initially, I built a 23cm cantenna, but found that I needed a little extra gain to have a more reliable signal into the repeater. I'm now going to pull a digital rabbit out of my hat. I have a TV set here which is tuned to the output of the VK3RTV digital amateur television repeater. I've then got a video camera which is taking video of the soft toy rabbit 
on my shelf and the output of the video camera is being fed into my video capture card on my computer. My computer is also connected to the DATV Express board and I've applied power first to the DATV Express board and then I've started the DVB transmitter software. So all I have to do now is press the push to talk button and hey presto digital amateur bunny television. So there you have it, a low-cost way to get into DATV or digital television as an amateur radio operator. How good is that? That is pretty good, Peter. That's very good. That's very good. I, the, how do you like the digital? Do you, you see a big improvement over the analog? Absolutely. It's it's superb uh, uh, quality and um, yeah, it's definitely the way of the future. Uh, if you get a chance, when you're in Dayton, if you could, uh, when you're going around the stands, uh, Art uh, uh, may have a display there, I don't know, but uh, it would be great to get some uh, some more information about it. Yeah, we'll have to see if we can find where they're set up there. Yeah, they, they're bound to be there. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'd like yeah. to have... Oh, and I, I, just one thing, I would encourage uh, if, those people out there that haven't played with television before to, uh, to actually get in, and uh, whether you do it analogue or digital... Um, it's a it's a fascinating part of the hobby, and uh, uh, you know you can uh, put up educational videos and things like that. So also a pretty good tool. Well, let me ask you this, Peter, on the uh, repeater side there, did they have to change anything on the repeater to choose whether it's digital or analog, or will both pass through the same machine there? Uh, we we have it uh, our uh, keeper or guardian. Um, uh, Grandmaster uh, VK3BFG uh, Peter uh, has set it up um, such that it will accept both analog and or digital. Okay, depending on the frequency, and uh, uh, and that will feed into either one or two, if you like, pathways which come out on two digital channels. But the important thing is that uh, the the actual output is digital, so. Whatever you're transmitting into the repeater, be it, be it analog or, or digital, provided you've got a good signal back, you'll see exactly what you're transmitting. So if I put a really bad wavy uh, signal into the repeater, I will see 100% the same as what the uh, VK3RTV repeater is hearing. I'd like to, mm. you know to try some of that one day you know yeah it's fun there's just not too many people around here that are into it i actually looked at at it when i first got my ticket yeah thought it was fascinating but well we don't really have a repeater here but you know right. there's been some talk about it and and maybe one day we can get into that well you know tommy and i were at uh huntsville for gigaparts ham radio day here recently and we just released that episode here oh a couple of weeks ago you might want to go take a look at it. I've we, seen the video, by the way. It, it, it looked really, really good. It looks like you had a lot of fun over there. Yeah, we, uh, we got some interviews there, with, uh, of course, with Ray. We also got Dennis from Yezu and Phil yeah, from Kenwood. Phil from Kenwood, yeah. And you don't often see those guys on video there, so we were mighty proud that they joined us. And uh, we got Emmett on there, too, as well as several other things. <laughs> And we got something special from our friend Arnie that uh, was not in that episode that hopefully will be. Yeah, we'll have that coming up soon. Yeah. Uh, What else have we been up to, Tom? Yeah, well, you know, Ray dropped by here with a new toy under his arm recently. 
of the ID5100. So we did the SmackDown with it between it and the 2820, and uh, Ray did pretty good to get out of here with that thing. You had just put the sleeper hold on yeah. him. We, well, we could have. I tried, him. but he was pretty quick. You didn't have him blocked. Yeah. He, he made it to the door. <laughs> a good comparison video there. Here's a link where you can go check it out. It's not on the Amateur Logic website. Yeah. It's hosted by... Yeah, and that's pretty much what it looked like here in Georgia's chat. It did, yeah. We had the ropes and everything in here. And uh, <laughs> Into my emails here, I've got one here from... Uh, this is from Dennis, K-A-Z-I-S. And uh, he said, I watch you guys all the time and really enjoy the show. I was wondering if any of you plan to be at Dayton this year, and this will be my first time going, and I'm looking forward to a great time, and Dennis, yes, we will be at Dayton. Tommy and I wouldn't miss it for the world. It's going to be a great trip. Yep, absolutely. We've been booked for quite a while. Yeah, we have, and, um, you know, we, oh, I don't know how long ago we planned it, but we even got a hotel room that hopefully will have an air conditioner this yeah, year. Yeah, we're moving up in the world. Yeah. If... If you pull up at the hotel and the sign just says hotel and that's all, that's a bad sign. <laughs> yeah, lesson learned. Yep. Well, I've got an email here from Steve, KF5VCQ. says, hi, Tommy. Last night I had a chance to watch your last episode of Amateur Logic. Enjoyed your segment on portable operation and particularly your use of the MFJ2289 Big Ear antenna. I'm relatively new general class and looking for a convenient portable antenna. I assume you're using the mast tripod that MFJ offers along with a big ear. I see the EX model comes with an 18-foot. Did you go for that, or or you think it would be much help? And what coax did you use? I did like the antenna. That's the first time I actually got to take it out. Mm -hmm. it, it was great. It worked worked very well. It was easy to put up. And, and I actually, I, I kind of hate to admit, but I actually kind of let the thing fall over when I was putting it up. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty tough, too, so yeah, okay. I can testify to that. And I used some uh, Mini 8 and uh, coax, and I got the 9-foot tripod. I didn't get the 18-foot. Eight, I'm sure the 18-foot might be a little bit better. Higher is always better, but uh, I was pretty happy with the performance I got. Yeah, that's a great antenna. You know, I, I had one here and looked at it, uh, oh, sometime last year, I think, and mm -hmm. really nice, man. Yeah, it's, it's good. And portable, easy to set up. Well, speaking of MFJ, you know, they're a sponsor here on AmateurLogic.tv, and we're proud to have them support us. You know, we gave away a, a couple of power supplies from them in mm -hmm. some of our uh, previous uh, complete setups there, and we're going to feature that this month. There's been a little addition to it, and it looks pretty nice. If space is at a premium in your ham station, then MFJ's got a solution. The MFJ4230MV Mighty Light is the world's most compact switching power supply, and it includes a meter and adjustable voltage control. At just 5 inches wide by 2.5 inches high and 3 inches deep, it weighs only 3 pounds. It's perfect not only for space-limited installations, but also pack-and-go for field day, de-expeditions, camping, hiking, or on your next business trip or vacation to some faraway place. The MFJ4230MV gives you 25 amps continuously or 30 amps surge at 13.8 volts. A front panel control allows you to vary the voltage anywhere from 4 to 16 volts. 
Input voltage is selectable between 120 and 240 volts AC at 47 to 63 hertz, so you can use it almost anywhere in the world. The MFJ4230MV power supply's front panel meter is selectable for voltage or amps. Excellent 75% efficiency and extra low ripple and noise of less than 100 millivolts make this supply a clean source of power for your rig. Some competing switching power supplies generate objectionable RF hash in your transmitted and received signals, but the SuperClean MFJ Monilite supplies meet all FCC Class B regulations. The unit cools by convection and includes a whisper-quiet fan and heat sensor that increases the fan speed as necessary to keep things cool. DC output is provided on five-way binding posts, or choose the MFJ4230MVP to include a pair of popular power pole connectors. All MFJ switching power supplies are protected by MFJ's famous, no matter what, one-year limited warranty. Check out the MFJ4230MV and the MFJ4230MVP. Visit MFJEnterprises.com today. You and I have seen that power supply a number of times, and... Yeah, that's gonna be my next power supply. I mean, it's so, so small. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, like, it's a fourth of the size of the one that I normally use. Yeah, uh, great supply there, and you know maybe we'll have another contest coming up here one day, and, uh, and I can enter. Give away one of those. No, you can't enter. <laughs> <laughs> well, what have you got for us this month? Well, I, I had a little problem. You know, I take my DHAP with me to work, mm-hmm. and I like to remote in. Well, here, let's just take a look. You know, on Amateur Logic here, we do a lot of things with ham radio, but we also do things with uh, Raspberry Pis and Arduinos, and we tie them in with ham radio and things like that. Well, my DHAP that I've showed you before, I, I carry this thing with me most of the time, and that way I can get on D-Star wherever I go. Well, there's there's a Raspberry Pi in it, and... I like to keep the security updates. As I mentioned before, it's, it's really important to stay in time to keep all the updates installed on your devices for security holes to, to be patched and so forth. Plus, I'm a programmer. I like to get in there and tinker around with some scripting and Python programming, whatever happens to strike my fancy at the time. A little Node.js lately. Uh, anyway, the problem I have is I don't know the IP address to be able to SSH or VNC into it. At home, I can remote into my router and see the devices that are in, and no problem. But I don't have that luxury when I'm away. I created a little Python program that will actually read the IP address to me when the device boots up, and that way I can remote into it if I want to. Let's take a look at the code. It's pretty simple. This is a standard Python program. And it's got the header at the top that tells where the interpreter is. We're using two libraries, the socket and the OS one, and these are the imports lines that gives us access to them. We're creating a socket and assigning it to a variable P. And here we're using the socket that create, and we're connecting to an external IP address on port 80. And this is going to give us the outfacing address of the device. If we didn't do that, it would give me the loopback address. It's 127.0.0.1. So this ensures that it's going to return us one that we can access to get into the device. Here we're getting the address that it detected. And these are some debug lines I have in there. If I run this in the console, it'll display IP address along with the address after it. Closing the socket. 
and I'm loop, looping through the IP address here and what we're doing is assigning each number or the dot to the variable C and then I'm executing MPG321 with the Q parameter or command line switch rather and I'm assembling a file name with the .mp3 extension. So if my IP address is 192 dot something it's going to loop through each one of those characters and it's going to give me a 1, a 9, a 2, a dot and so forth and it's going to execute and play audio files 1.mp3, 9.mp3 and so forth. I've actually got those files here. They're in my folder called Numbers. And I just used Audacity and I, I used my mic here and I recorded them. I'll get, put these files up for you to download if you want the ones with my voice in them, but you may want your own. So let, let's just try them out here. We've got zero, one, dot. We'll need to get the files over to my Raspberry Pi. I'm going to do this other one this time since I've already done my DHAP. And we're going to copy them to a thumb drive, plug it in, mount it, and then put them in the right folders and test it out. So first thing we need to do is plug this into the computer and get the files over to it so we can move them. And I'm going to copy the code as well as the folder with the numbers in it. It's quite small so it goes very fast. Now let's eject it. And I've got a terminal up here. Let's go ahead and SSH into the Raspberry Pi. On all of my Raspberry Pis, when I set them up, I enable SSH using the Raspberry Config program like we've, you've seen in the past here. You can do this by plugging your device up into a monitor and plugging a keyboard up to it if you want. But you're going to have to use a hub since we've only got two USB slots. So now I'll plug the USB drive up into my Raspberry Pi. And it's accessing it. You've seen this use Midnight Commander before. It's a little file manager. It makes things really easy to copy. Instead of doing a lot of command line stuff, I'm going to install that. And uh, you can do it either way you like, but this is just going to kind of make things zip along a little quicker. I don't have Midnight Commander on this computer, so I'm going to install it real fast. We're going to need to mount the thumb drive that we just plugged in. To do that, we need to know what the identifier is on it. It's almost always going to be slash dev slash sda1. If you want to know, you can look at these commands that I've got here. They'll be in the show notes. Tail-f var log messages will give it to you, so let's try that. And you can see USB storage SDA1 right there. And control C will cancel that. So we need to mount it. So let's make a mount point. And that goes in the MNT directory. So let's do cd slash MNT. 
And I already created this mount point before. So let's go ahead and mount it. The mount command dash T tells you the type of the file system. Mine is formatted as MS-DOS. FAT32. And it's dev SDA1 as we saw. And we're going to mount it to MNT USBDRV, which is the mount point we created. You can name that mount point whatever you like. Ah, it must be root. So we'll do sudo in front of it. And let's run midnight commander. And this is our stuff we just copied. There's our numbers. The way this gets executed is when your Raspberry Pi boots up, there's a file in the WAC ETC folder called rc.local. And we just need to add a command in there to look over where we're going to put this stuff and execute it when it boots up. So this is the line we want. Sleep. We're going to sleep for 10 seconds. We're going to change the directory to home pi programming IP. I don't have that directory yet, so we're going to create it. And then as, as the sudo user, we're going to run ipsay.py and redirect the output to dev null, which is nothing. And the ampersand at the end tells it not to wait for this to continue to, to run this off in another thread and continue up booting up the system. That's why we actually have the sleep 10 in front. And then exit with zero um, error level, like always. You'll, you'll see our file is default. It's All of it is exactly the same except for this line right here. So let's go back over here. And we need to make sure that we've got this folder. Home Pi Programming. So let's go to home pi I don't have a programming so let's let's go uh, mkdr programming and let's go in there and let's go we need an IP folder mkdr IP and let's go in there so now we need to copy ipsay.py over and f5 will do that and then we need to put the numbers in there so I'll go into the numbers folder and we'll do each of those let's go ahead and copy them over there so on this side you should have all numbers 0 through 9 and the dot and your program now that all the files are over there, let's try it out. We're going to run the IPSA program by the command line to test it before we button it all up. We need to go back to our folder. And here's our stuff. So let's try it. IPSA.py Ah! MPG321 isn't there. We didn't install the prerequisite. So let's do that. sudo apt-get install 
MPG321. Now that that's done, let's try it again. One, nine, two, dot. One, six, eight, dot. Zero, dot. One, two, three. Looks like it works. Now the only thing left is to add the line to execute it when it boots up. And all we need to do is make it look like this one. So if you go in between this if block, we'll add a line. And you can actually copy and paste this one. It works the same with Windows. You don't have to. I'm hitting Control-C. You don't have to have a Mac. It's, this all works the same. So we'll go right here. And we'll hit Control-V. And there it is. Now let's control X to exit, type Y to save it, and it's done. Now let's reboot. Pseudo reboot. And when this thing comes up, I'm going to go ahead and pull my thumb drive out. When this, since it's going down, when this thing comes up, we should hear it give me the IP address that's assigned. One, nine, two, dot, one, six, Eight dot zero dot one two three and it worked even if you don't have a speaker or a pair of earbuds plugged up to the device it doesn't really matter it's it's not going to interfere with it it's just going to come up play them but nobody's going to hear it and if you think you might not use it you can go and comment that line out if you want uh, it's not not really very hard at all on a side note, I actually have a version of the program that will hook up to the serial port pins on the Raspberry Pi and output the IP address to this little LCD display that you see me use in other projects here. And thinking possibly about doing a permanent mod to my DHAP, I've got to see if I've got room or get a smaller panel. But this would actually be a nice addition to this to where it would just display it all the time for me. So if I do that at some point, I may take you along for the ride if you're interested in seeing it. Anyway, I hope you find it useful. If you have any questions, give me an email at tommy at amateurlogic.tv, and I'll see you next time. That was really cool, Tommy. I, I like the that you used voice on that. Yeah, it's my voice. Yeah. And I'll, I'll provide those files, including the, uh, the voice files, if anybody wants them. They'll be mm -hmm. on the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, Tommy, uh, I gather that you, you've learnt to uh, program in Python. I hadn't realised you'd, you'd actually studied that. Uh, I studied a bit at uh, MIT's online program. Um, what do you think of the, the language? I, I'm really impressed with it. Yeah, it it's nice. Um, I'm not an expert on it. I just kind of learned how to do what I needed to do, looked it up as I went along. It's just another programming language. Once you use one, you kind of use most of yep. them. Yeah, just a little reference and you're good to go. Yeah, and the, the, the indention and stuff on this one's real critical, which kind of makes it unique. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, what have you got email-wise over there for yeah, us? I've actually got one left, and this one comes from Terry. And uh, actually, I had quite a few about the solar panel, and that's what this one's about. It's from Terry, KF5SKA. He says, Hi, Tommy. I've seen all uh, Amateur Logic videos, and I love them. 
episode 65, you had a really cool solar panel fold-up roll-up thingy. Can you tell me where I can find one of those and who makes or sells those? And, yeah, you can get them at the link right here, Powerfilm Solar. They make them. They've got an Amazon.com store. They also are going to be at Dayton. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the guy that run, I guess he runs the company, Pat. And that's the time to buy them, isn't it? That, that's the time to buy them. They have the big specials. Uh, things are cut. Prices are cut pretty good. And actually, he told me that if you don't make it to Dayton, you know, if you check with him afterwards, any sub- stock that they've got that they may not have moved at Dayton, they'll honor the, the Dayton prices for a little while as long as they've still got them. So, so be sure and check with him. Yeah, cool. That is some really nice solar panels yeah they're awesome i've got a a kind of a a glass one but Uh man that canvas is really great and uh excuse me high output yeah yeah really neat well um you know as amateurs we send qsl cards back and forth and kind of collect them and all but did you know that the qsl card was not really a card it was stamped it was stamped Back in the early 1920s, uh, when radio stations were first getting on the air, you know, they really didn't know who was listening to them. And uh, a company, I can't remember the name of it now, came up with uh, these stamps. You could buy uh, books to collect your stamps in, and then the radio station, if you sent them, you know, a reception report, they would email you one of these stamps to put in your book. Email it? Oh, no, I guess they did email it, did they? <laughs> they probably snail mailed it to <laughs> you. mailed it. <laughs> but uh, you could collect these stamps, and that's how you would collect QSL cards. Of course, I don't guess amateurs were were maybe exchanging cards in the early 1920s. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's a pretty cool yeah. idea, though. Yeah. But it's a real good article on uh, the Radio World website. You can go to this link right here and learn a little bit more you know about that they they go into a lot of details on it there's a couple of different companies that did that it was a little rivalry going on in there yeah and, uh, but but you know i just got a qsl card from mike really yeah ve3mic he should have just emailed me a stamp and would have saved him a lot of money it would have yeah <laughs> <laughs> they could digitally lick it for you so you could stick it in your book <laughs> Well, you know, ICOM's a sponsor of Amateur Logic, and uh, we really uh, enjoy everything they do for us. And uh, we're going to be visiting with Ray here next week. Uh, well, maybe not next week when you watch this show, if you're watching uh, the recorded version, but we may have already been there and done it. Yeah, chronologically, yeah, it'll be next week. And we had a great time next week, too. <laughs> so uh, right now, let's see what ICOM's got for us this month. Last year, ICOM introduced the IC7100 touchscreen mobile to rave reviews. Now, ICOM's doing it again, taking innovation and mobility to the next level. This time, they're announcing the new ID5100A, a VHF-UHF dual-band digital transceiver. ICOM's mobile radio features a large responsive 5.5-inch touchscreen with software keypad and independent main dials, volume, and squelch for A and B bands. 
The ID5100A also includes an integrated GPS receiver, position, course, speed, and altitude are displayed. The GPS antenna is located in the remote head, so no external GPS antenna is required. And there's a great DV and FM analog repeater list function that uses the GPS position info to display repeaters near you. The dual-band receiver offers VHF-UHF, VHF-VHF, and UHF-UHF simultaneous receive capabilities. Digital functions include D-Star DV mode operation, dual-watch receivers, D-plus reflector linking, and enhanced DPRS. An optional Bluetooth unit supports headsets for hands-free communications. And there's the free RSMS1A Android app available for download on Google Play that offers a number of useful remote features. The ID5100A has 50 watts output power for both VHF and UHF. An SD card slot for recording and playing back QSOs, CS5100 cloning software, and much more. Visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on ICOM's ID5100A D-Star Mobile. Tommy, we, we just talked earlier about that smackdown on that rig. You know, you know I have to say that this makes me 2-0. Huh. Yeah. You need to borrow my calculator, man. I left my phone over there. <laughs> I, will, I will give you that one. You were, you're 1-2. One 1-2. and two. One and two. Yeah, you get one one out of two. Oh, see, I, I'm not a sports fan, so I don't know how you add. But two and one, you, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, I'm not that big a sports fan either. <laughs> but I, I'll I'll give you the fifty one hundred. Although I still like my twenty eight twenty a lot. The fifty one hundred has some really cool stuff. It does. Yeah, I like the twenty eight twenty as well. And you know, I was really looking hard at that, and that very well might have been. Still, I guess, could be my next uh, mobile rig. Well, you hadn't got a next mobile yet, so it could be. It could be, yeah. I, I'm hoping to get a next mobile one day. But <laughs> um, I went through the archives to see what I could come up with that we could look at this month. Uh, something, you know, um, informative for our viewers. Back to the Amateur Logic Warehouse. Back to the Amateur Logic Warehouse. And this is what I came up with. Hi class, I'm Professor Thomas and the name of this course is Better Living Through Chemistry. Today, we're gonna to take a look at some of the chemicals you need in your shop. Of course, you need to occasionally clean things, so you're gonna need some good chemicals for that. Here's one right here that I use quite often. It's Amazing H2O. It's a multi-purpose cleaner, it's non-abrasive, and it's biodegradable. This stuff right here you should have around because you need to wet that sponge for your soldering iron and there's a lot of times that a little bit of water would help. If you don't have a sink in your shop, definitely get you some H2O. Another cleaner I use quite often is Formula 409. This stuff cuts really good. It's sort of a degreaser, so it will take off a greasy residue, oil and such. And it's good for a lot of different things. You might also want to have some Windex around because 409 won't clean everything. Of course, electronics get dusty, so you want to have a can of this dust remover. It's uh, compressed air, or actually, I think it's compressed carbon dioxide. But that's really good for cleaning out stuff. You can also turn it upside down, and you've got a free spray there that's good for troubleshooting purposes. Here's one that I use a lot, denatured alcohol. 
You can't drink this stuff, but it really is good for cleaning flux off PC boards, uh, grease, just a variety of different uses. You really should have some denatured alcohol hanging around in your shop. One other chemical I use quite often is Power Wash. Now, there's a bunch of different brands of this. It used to be Freon-based. I'm not sure what they make it out of now. This is just a general contact cleaner. No lubricant in it. Strictly a cleaner, and it's sort of a degreaser too. This is good for cleaning switches and contacts, connectors, you know, whatever you've got that's gotten kind of dirty and is making static. Try some Power Wash or something similar to it. This stuff's not as cheap as it used to be, but if you use it sparingly, it can last you a long time. Now, here's one other item that I use a lot. It's Deoxit D5. Now, this stuff has been around for quite a while now. It's made by Keg Laboratories. There's several different names to it. Originally, it was called Cremelin. Uh, then it was named Deoxit. I think today it's called Pro Gold. But this is a contact cleaner. And it also applies a conductive lubricant when you put it on something. So in a lot of cases, it'll help rejuvenate contacts on switches or potentiometers and such. Highly recommended here. Deoxid or Pro Gold. This stuff is also available in a solid form. This is Kremlin Copper Paste here. Uh, I'm not sure what they call it today, but it's like a lubricating paste there that has copper particles in it. It's good for contact cleaning, and it also leaves a lubricant that's conductive. Uh, you might use this for heavier-duty contacts, things that are, are pretty high current and will be moving a lot. It's also good to put on battery terminals. While we're looking at stuff in baby food jars, let me just bring this out here. This is Cool Amp Silver Plating Powder. It's actually a, just a little white powder in there, that you can take and rub on copper or on brass. Use a lot of force and uh, a good bit of time doing it, but it will actually put a silver plate on certain metals. Now let's move on over into lubricants. Of course, this is 3-in-1 motor oil. It's just what I happen to have. You could have regular 3-in-1 oil around. That stuff's good too. Another lubricant that I use quite often is a spray-on silicon lubricant. This stuff is great for uh, a variety of uses. Door hinges, uh, cabinets, sliding mechanisms, a lot of good uses. And this stuff doesn't leave a residue like oil, so it's very helpful. Now, they also make a silicon grease, and I've had trouble finding this in recent years, but I finally found a source. You can get this stuff at the auto parts store. There's a variety of different types of it. Some of it's used as a spark plug boot sealant. But look around for silicon grease at the parts store. This stuff is good for putting in barons that are a little bit worn. Mechanical sliders, a lot of different things where you actually can use a little grease on it. Very good. Sometimes things break and we need glue and various different types of compounds to fix that with. Here's one of my favorites right here. This is 3M Super Weather Strip Adhesive. It is sort of like contact cement, but really strong. It holds for a long time. It also is, um, I've used it as an insulator material before. Very good stuff. Definitely get some of that for your shop.
Another type of insulation that uh, you can use is liquid electric tape. I really haven't used this stuff until the past couple of years and uh, it's pretty nice. It's expensive but it does do a really good job of insulating. What I would do is probably take some electric tape, put it over my connection first and then cover it with liquid electric tape. Now here's another type of popular glue here, super glue. I've got some here, but I really don't use this stuff much. You know, you open the tube, use it once, and then it's pretty much hard as a rock. Uh, this is good for some things. I try to avoid it, but, you know, there's some stuff that that's really the only thing that's going to work right for it. One more here that I like. This is quick steel. It's an epoxy stick here that you cut off a little bit. You take it and you knead it together. And it really makes a strong glue. Uh, this is probably sort of like JB Weld. I haven't used that particular brand myself, but this is what I've used in the past, and I've fixed a variety of things with it. Here's another glue I like right here. It's Elmer's Ultimate Glue. It works for metal, wood, stone, and a lot more. Uh, it's a polyurethane-based, I believe, but really good glue there that you might want to check out. Sometimes glue won't quite do it for you, and that's why I like PlastiPair. This stuff was kind of hard to find. It's made by Ron Chemicals. Pay attention to the way it's spelled here, PlastiPair, P-A-I-R. It really works great for uh, fixing plastic parts. We'll use some of this one day and actually show it in use. There's uh, some white powder in here. You mix that with some of the liquid. Uh, stir it up and it makes just like a little uh, sort of uh, pliable plastic that you can use to repair plastic parts with or make your own plastic parts. PlastiPair. Highly recommended. Now as long as we're talking about glue, here's one that uh, you may not need but if you work with paper and uh, various materials sometime, foil, uh, you can even use this on uh, plastic or metal. It's 3M Super 77 Spray Adhesive. Uh, this is good for a lot of different things. One thing I've used it for is, well, like my Raspberry Pi case here I made. I printed out my label and then I sprayed the rear of it with some of this uh, Super 77. And I was able to apply that decal right here to my Raspberry Pi case. Now, to keep that thing looking fresh for a long time, you know, the white paper is going to get dirty when you put your hands on it and such. Here's something that uh, I like to have around here. This is a clear wood finish satin. It's actually a spray-on lacquer. And that's good for uh, covering things like this. You could use it on a PC board if uh, it was going to be out in the elements and you needed to protect it. This would just put a little clear spray over whatever you're working with, and it's convenient to have sometimes. Now, we're talking about protecting things. Well, you know, there's a lot of different things that need protecting, and one of the things I like to use here, this is OxGuard. This is used for dissimilar metals, like uh, say you've got a copper terminal somewhere, and you're connecting an aluminum wire with it or vice versa, you know, eventually that thing's going to oxidize and you're going to have a corroded connection there. It's not going to work very good. You can take a little bit of this stuff here. This is OxGuard. I think there's another one called NOOx. 
it's just a uh, black paste here take that and you cover your wire and your connector with it and then screw it together and you're not going to have corrosion on it let's talk a little bit about soldering stuff now of course you know you won't solder i prefer to let it solder myself but the unleaded stuff does work there's a couple other things you might want to have though this is solder paste i bought this little box i don't know several years ago now and you can see i've hardly used any out of it uh, you want to get something like a uh, rosin based or an electronic paste be careful of the stuff you buy at the hardware store because it's probably acid based and that'll eat up your electronics you can apply this stuff on wires or connectors or metal that might be a little hard to get started soldering something that's large this will allow the solder to flow much faster and you can keep the heat off of that component and probably get a better connection in the long run. You can also get liquid flux. And here's some in a little flux pen right here. This is made by Kester. You can take this pen and you just brush it on the PC board or whatever you're working on. It really gets that solder flowing good. Here's some Wright's Anti-Tarnish Silver Polish. Uh, you could use Brasso if you want, but you know it's kind of handy to have some little polish around sometime. If you've got a piece of metal that's dull, you can use this stuff right here to brighten it back up. It also can be used on plastic or other materials, so having a little polish handy could be a good thing. Well, thanks for joining us for Better Living Through Chemistry. We hope you've got a few tips here that'll be useful in your shop. Well, that was pretty cool. The, the plastic pair stuff was uh, good. I've seen you use that before, but you didn't mention mother spit. You know, that's Mother a good spit. cleaning compound. Jeff Foxworthy <laughs> says that'll get rust off your car bumper. Well, they didn't have it at Lowe's. I, I looked, but yeah, I guess it would. <laughs> How many times have you seen a mom spit on the, the rag and wipe her kid's face? Yep. So, anyway, that was pretty neat. Yeah, thanks. Um, let's get on back into our final round of emails here. And I got one from Pat KC0YHV. And he said, good morning from sunny, chilly Iowa. We're putting up a G5 RV and have a lot of ladder line left over. And I was wondering what to do with the excess ladder line. Uh, can I roll it up? Do I need to stretch it out? Or, or what do I need to do with? Probably need to stretch that stuff out. Definitely don't roll it up. I have heard people say that you could uh, lay it on the ground and kind of stretch it out. But, um, you know, I, I don't really even like that. I would try to stretch it out as best I could. If you have to zigzag it around or something, yeah. do. But don't roll it up. Uh, not a good idea. Peter, what have you got there? I've got one final email here from Bill W8LV. Now, Bill's got a Turlin antenna. I've never heard of that before. On a tripod which has been um, outside for more than 10 Ohio winters, so he reckons it's time to replace it. He reckons it's a simple and rugged antenna, but uh, it's not available anymore. So uh, when he was looking around for antennas, he found a website, www.bushcomantennas.com.au. Uh, it's an Australian website. Now, Bill suggests I could do a segment on this manufacturer, 
However, uh, unfortunately, uh, the manufacturer, I, I looked them up on, on the internet, they're in Perth, which is like on the other side of the continent. So, unfortunately, um, it's very unlikely I'll be over that way, uh, Bill. But uh, I will keep an eye out for antenna manufacturers on the eastern uh, part of Australia. And uh, if we come across any, uh, we'll, uh, we'll try and cover one or two of them. Sounds good, Peter. I know they, they make a lot of good antennas. Mm-hmm. down in australia i own an outbacker myself i'm not using it right now but i i mm-hmm. really like that antenna yeah they're good tough antennas yeah well of course you know the dangerous creatures here in australia don't actually just attack people but attack anything that they see so uh, antennas they have to be tough <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know what to say about yeah. that I guess there must be a Jew rating on some of them. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate everyone joining us today for episode 66. We've had a great time. It's always a lot of fun, and hopefully we'll be seeing some of you here in Dayton in just uh, just yeah. a few days. Yeah, if you see us, be sure and say hi. And I uh, also wanted to mention we got a few new products on the, uh, on the T-shirt shop. Yeah. Not T-shirts anymore, but... Uh, these polo shirts are out there now. Yeah, it's uh, amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com. Dot com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, Actually, also, um, won't, uh, is it W-something K-U-B, I believe, will be streaming live from Dayton, so we might see you on TV there. Yeah. W-5-K-U-B.com. Yeah, W-5-K-U-B.com. Uh, check out his website. He. He's been doing that for a lot of years now. and uh, We just talked with Tom in this uh, Bigger Parts Ham mm-hmm. Radio Day yeah. interview. Yeah, first time I saw him was when Jimmy and I went out there. We interviewed him as well. Yeah, that's true. Well, there's a lot of places you can learn more about AmateurLogic.tv. Uh, one place is the Amateur Logic Network. Um, it's on Star, Do Drop In Star, node number 355 800. There's social network sites that uh, you can learn more about us. Uh, there's a lot of you that have already joined them, and we have a great time there. Uh, Facebook.com slash group slash amateurlogic.tv is one. We've also yeah. got the Google Plus. Google Plus, yeah. And and like Mike mentioned in the uh, the message Peter read earlier, we hit a 1,000 members on Google Plus now. It's growing every single day. There are more and more. Yeah, so, I, I, it may catch up with the Facebook one soon. Yeah, and you can follow us on Twitter as well. Yeah, at Amateur Logic. Check back about this time next month. There'll be a new episode out. A lot of fun stuff we did in Dayton. And I don't know any final closing thoughts, Tommy. No, just uh, like I said, we'll be out there if you see us. Be sure and holler, and we will see you guys next month. Yeah, Peter. Um. Two hours to the start of the final of Eurovision Song Contest. Go Netherlands. That's all I'll say. Okay. Uh, I'm not even sure what that's all about myself since we didn't enter this year. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But maybe next year. There's always a chance. Yeah. If you work on that crooning and spoon playing, I'm sure we could take it. I'm going to go use a spoon and a fork here in a few minutes. It's about lunchtime. Boy, I am too. (laughs) Well, thanks for being here, everyone. See you again next month. 7-3. 
Of course. And you saying the date is wrong here on this lower third. Pay no attention to that date. Yeah. Again. Again. <laughs> like a copper paste. If I can open it, <laughs> if I can open the baby food jar here. And I can't. Hi, welcome to another exciting episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. <laughs> And this will allow the flutter, this will allow, this will allow the solder to flow much faster. And you were talking about this little button over here. That's how you would access yeah, those, little, isn't it? Yeah, the little round one. This, mm -hmm. this is uh, actually two functions. If you tap that thing, this actually <laughs> allows you to... <laughs> Need to take a pause. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> <off here. laughs>